Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Steve. Welcome to the Forks Drum Closet Podcast. We're in episode eight this evening. You can check out all of our podcast episodes on our YouTube channel, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Instagram. Hi, Steve. Good to see you. Hey, man. Good to have you guys here. Absolutely. Dude, thank you for being here. How's uh, how's your weekend starting off? It's good, man. This is great fun. We got uh, stuff planned for tomorrow and then just kick back and relax on Sunday. Beautiful weather and That's we're cool. all happy. What's uh what's on the docket for tomorrow? Big stuff. You guys are open tomorrow in here. Yeah, we only do Saturdays to the public. You know, we do eleven to five on Saturdays. Okay. The rest of the time it's online. Sure. But we got some guys coming in. Uh, you know, I picked up some stuff today, and the guy's got another thing he's going to bring me tomorrow. We get a couple other friends coming in with some stuff. So yeah. it'll be a fun day. It's kind of our hang day. You know, we just right. the rest of the week we work, and then Saturday we kind of devote it to we're here. Customers come on in, kick back, hang a little bit, and it's kind of that. That well, kind of vibe for tomorrow. I mean, you guys are moving and shaking as far as I know, because I mean, just like you described with everything, but then also you had us bring several things up here for a few customers. So that's, you guys are moving drums across state lines for sure. Yeah, it's been good. You know, I mean, despite all the craziness with the mm -hmm. COVID stuff, part of the advantage here is we're 95% online with right. what we do. So, you know, that hasn't been impacted as much. And, you know, we find people, they're always looking for cool stuff. And if we got a cool vintage kit or a snare, or, you know, special symbols or things like that, and we move the stuff. So it's been okay. It seems like you guys have very much from an outsider's perspective. It seems like you guys have a, a very cool apparatus here to um, take advantage of what you were just saying in terms of your online clientele and, and using all of that time really efficiently to, to great, get great product and, and great examples of that product out there for people. So um, do you find that you, you everything you really need to take advantage of the new world in terms of drum retail do you have you have access to it in this building yeah and you know it's a funny thing because you could say i want to take credit for being a genius and figuring all that out but that's not how it works you know mm -hmm. the reality is we set this up we do it the way we do it and it just turns out that it happens to be a really really good fit for where we are yeah. right now in the world Amazing. with this situation and so uh, we're thankful for that, you know, but I don't take any credit for being the genius behind it. It just happened to work out well. Well, you're sort of, certainly the patriarch. I mean, uh, your son, Stephen, who handles a lot of this um, yes. very expertly, I would imagine. Um, and your wife, Debbie, are, are both here tonight. So um, it's very cool that the, the Maxwell family gets to hopefully partake in that. That's great. Everybody does. And Chris, you know, our son, Chris, he runs all the back end of the shop here. So he's got all the shipping. Right. Takes care of all that, which is huge. Manages our reproduction parts business also. And, you know, Stephen basically runs the recording studio. We've got a full recording studio here that we use for our own stuff. And sometimes we rent it out. And uh, we got another guy who works here. Uh, you haven't met yet, but Noah, he's a great guy. Right. And he comes in and he, he's the guy who loves to take get an old vintage kit in. And he'll spend time cleaning it up. It'll look like it just came out of the showroom. You know, so he loves doing that. Probably a fun, not, I wouldn't say chore, but probably a, a fun, almost hobby, probably while he's getting to clean those yeah. up and see them come back to life. Oh, yeah. He, he just loves yeah. it. He's done a couple of videos of things and put it up and did uh, fast, you know, speeded up motion on a snare drum. He did. Took it from fun garbage dirty to looking like it just left a factory and just, cool. he's, he has great he has a great job talk to noah i think on the phone a few times uh, haven't had the pleasure uh, to meet your son chris or noah yet so hopefully yeah. that'll change yeah in they'll the next... be in yeah you see him tomorrow morning yeah i mean marshall and i are turning and burning we're getting stuff and we're getting out of here and we'll be back in nashville tomorrow so it's been a, it's been a, it'll be a wild 48 hours by tomorrow night for sure yeah um so we have uh, a couple questions to get into. Okay. Um, a lot of myself included uh, in, in the in the drum world, I think, but also the Nashville drum world. Um, we because obviously with COVID going on, we, we haven't had the luxury of seeing you since February. I know it's been a dry. I've been wanting to come down because you know, I mean you're you're super proactive in terms of you come down. You were coming down like last year. You were down once, even twice a month sometimes. Yeah, usually a couple. Yeah, every other week kind of thing. Totally. So, you know, the fact that we haven't seen you since February was almost, you know, Marshall and I were saying, oh my gosh, has it been, could it have been 10 months? It, it can't have been. So the fact that we, when you reminded us you were in February, it was like, okay, well that was before the new world started. So that's, that is wild. But to, um, to get into it, like, I guess, refamiliarize us all here. Um, I, I know who you are because you're my employer, uh, which I am very grateful for, of course. Um, but who is, Steve Maxwell, the drum retailer and drummer. What I mean is, I know I know very little about your your retail and drumming background. Only the conversations we've had. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the guy who founded a good friend of yours, Gary Forkham, who started Forkham yeah. Closet in 1981. I, I definitely know how where the closet started. But where did Steve Maxwell's closet start and when? Because I know you come from a different background. You're a player, yeah. amazing player, of course. 
But like when you one morning, where were you in your life? What were you doing when you decided I'm a drummer? I think I need to have a drum store. When was this? Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, that's a fun question. Okay. So I was working in the, uh, I, I, I worked in the credit card business, even though I've been a player for 50 some years. Yes. I can't have lost track. Uh, Which you're only 37 years old. So I don't yeah, know how you pulled that yeah, off. Yeah, well, there you go. Okay. If only. But, uh, but it was at one point I was in that and I said, I really, really like uh, to do more. But I don't know if I should commit to doing anything because I didn't really want to set up anything big. So I found uh, a little space in a place called the Fine Arts Building in Chicago. It's a building that, that's uh, host to uh, youth orchestras and things like that. And our boys were in the youth orchestra there. And I said, you know, this is kind of a cool place. So I found a little tiny 500 square foot space in that building. And I said, I wonder what I could do. And I said, well, you could rent it for uh, one year. So you could do a one year lease. And it was a thousand bucks a month. I said, okay, I'll roll it. I'll roll for, you know, a thousand bucks a month, 12 grand a year. I'll roll with it. And I just brought some stuff in and I did it on the side. And I only did it on Sundays. And it was good. But I, and I'd contact some people and they'd come in because I had vintage stuff. And I was a big vintage fan. So I had all that kind of stuff in there. Mm. And it started to kind of grow from there. And so then we, you know, we opened up a little bit bigger space in that same building. And it was working out okay. So I ended up hiring somebody to, to work there because I was still in the other the other uh, business, the credit card business. Right. And uh, back when I turned 55 uh, in the credit card business, I finally said, well, I've been doing that a long time. And I think I don't want to do that anymore. I'd like to do this. And that was when we uh, we opened up the store in New York. Yes. So that was... Uh, Shout out Just Birch. What up? Yeah, that's right. Jess Birch, who manages that shop for us. Uh, so we opened up the New York store and it was just it's just a, a kind of a passion. And for me in Chicago, the, the great drum shop was it wasn't, you know, a GC or a Sam Ash. I mean, back when I was young, it was basically Maury LaShawn at Frank's drum shop, you know. Yeah. Uh, so so that was that was his history. That's what I grew up with. And in uh, New York City, it was Frank Ippolito's Pro Percussion. You know, place, places like that that were historic. And so to me, my idea was if we could kind of pay tribute to those places, those guys, that would be kind of cool. So that's what we did. That's what the intent was in Chicago. And that's what the intent was in New York. And it just kind of has grown from there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I, you know, that was about when I was 55 when we did the New York uh, shop. Expansion. Ex- yeah, expansion. Yeah. And it just kind of went from there and you know right around you, you start looking at timing and it works out okay when chris uh our, our our boy steven and chris when they were out of high school into college then you know deb had time so deb would start working with me in the business and mm. doing stuff on the back end so we could grow it there and then um, you know as things progressed the kids came in to work with us steven and chris came in to work with us and things kind of you know grew from there so for me it's um it's something that i've loved since I used to come to New York City, I used to go to Frank Ippolito's and I studied with uh, Papa Joe Jones and, and all the people that were there, the jazz players, Mel Lewis was in town, Elvin was there, all those guys, that's that's where they lived, that's where they played, that's where they lived. So it was so cool to be there and to, to kind of bring that, to carry that forward, carry that legacy forward through our shop in New York was meaningful to me. And the same thing for Frank's drum shop here in Chicago, to carry that forward was meaningful. Yeah. And you know, you start looking at it and layering it in. And then I got involved with Craviato. Right. Of course. And then, you know, myself and, and the other business partner, uh, Elizabeth Cabraser. And Elizabeth is a business partner with us in the shops as well. So it's one big happy family. Yeah. But then we also, when Gary decided that he was going to you know, sell the land and, and, and it was time to kind of move on in his way, then to me, it was kind of the same thing. It was like, well, you can't just not have Forks drum closet. It can't, that, that's not an option. It's just not an option. I know we all grew up thinking that for sure. So that's, it's awesome that it, it got to continue the way that it did. So, you know, for us, that's kind of how I look at it. And, and we get a lot of joy from that. So we get to kind of continue those legacies. Forks drum closet. Somebody said, well, you're going to change the name. And I said, why, why, why would I change the name? This is what Gary created. It's been known for 32 years as Forks Drum Closet. That's what the history is. That's where the legacy is. We just want to keep it moving forward yeah. just like it was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, it's a great pleasure 
it's a passion. I have a passion for it. I'm very thankful and blessed because the uh, because Deb and the kids are in it with us. So we're all in it together. And then there's some days when we, you know, like everybody, we all wake oh. up and go, what am I doing this for? Oh, because yeah. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> yeah. But um, did you start with your... Um, in the in the small space when you first got going, even before you moved to the North New, New York store, started the New York store, did you start with your own stuff, like as your own inventory, or did you have kind of background from drumming friends in the industry that to sort of get like a like where did your first inventory come from? That that stuff came from my own collection because right. I started uh, getting into vintage when I was very young, when I was probably eighteen. I started getting mm -hmm. into vintage, so when I opened that shop, I had. My own collection was the, the vintage stuff that we sold. Got it. And we didn't really know what to do next. A friend of mine um, was the uh, principal percussionist at, in the Cincinnati Symphony, Bill Platt. Still a great friend of mine. And Bill said, hey, you know, we're going to Zildjian in a couple of weeks to, to pick out some symbols for the orchestra. He said, why don't you come? I said, oh, man, they won't. What do they want to talk? They don't want to talk to me. You know, they don't want, I, I, they don't want me to sell their symbols. I'm just some little dinky guy in the corner over here. But they were very cool, you know, and they were very receptive. And I went down to Zildjian, and uh, they let me pick pick the cymbals through and in the in the factory. It was great fun, and I I was just like beside myself because like I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. We bought twenty cymbals. Mm -hmm. Now you and I both know it's like twenty cymbals today. It's like big deal, but that was a big deal. Sure, back then. well, of course it was. It was yeah. a big deal. Yeah, but they were really gracious, great people, and. Uh, this was the first version of your store. Yes, the very about. first yeah. version of the store, the yeah. little tiny <clears throat> space. Okay. So, uh, but it, it was important. I remember that stuff, and those relationships are really, really sure. important to keep. That's important. Um, when you just a minute ago you were saying uh, all the cool stuff about being in New York and getting to experience uh, on, on a ground level, uh, all those amazing players that you got to study with and things. Um, that was you said that was when you were around eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, 18, 19, right around there. So who, a young 18, 19-year-old, go get the world, Steve Maxwell, who's that guy playing with? Who who were you just just obsessed with vintage gear and the old drummers, or were you were you gigging underground in New York all the time? Who, who was that guy? You know, I wasn't gigging in New York. I, was, I lived in Rhode Island, and I used to go to New York. I used to take the bus into New York and stay there at the cheap president hotel which was really a cheap flea bag hotel in 1973 yeah but it's still there now and it's actually a nice hotel now but i would go there have lessons and hang around and just hang at the clubs go to the clubs, see people playing i was playing back in rhode island uh quite a bit because i started gigging when i was about 12 yeah but i i, I gig with everything from when you're really young wedding guys doing wedding bands anything like that and then i i uh, i went on the road with a show band Right around seventy four, and we okay. did. That's when you do show bands. Used to go do hotel circuits, so yeah. you stay at the Marriotts or the Sheridans or whatever it is, and you go to the lounge, and there'd be real, you know, real band in there, and they're doing three shows a night, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we did a lot of that. I did a lot of jazz band in high school, and I was primarily a jazz player. Right. But that's the stuff I was doing, and I uh, didn't really didn't do any gigging in New York. It was all back on the East Coast, gotcha. and then traveling with the band. So that's a show band. That was all. I mean, that's all standards and things, right? I mean, yeah, we would do. You know, I mean, think about the time. We're talking 1974. So we'd be doing. You know, we do a dance set, and then we come out and we do a show set, which would be just different tunes. You know, top 40 oriented oh, yeah. stuff. Okay. Top 40 oriented stuff. Gotcha. But it was it was great, and we you know we made the rounds, played hotel circus. It was great fun. That's. So cool! I bet it was. I mean, because I mean, you swing so well when you play. We've, you know, a lot of us have heard your videos and things. So it's cool to hear. Obviously, you're a great jazz drummer, but to, to hear that you were doing some standard stuff and and the, the old working schlep stuff is is how we all cut our teeth, right? No kidding. Um, when you're growing, when you're growing up, so you you said you started playing uh, gigs and, and set and things like that when you were 12. So when was when did the lightning bolt strike? I think most of us will probably remember who it was. That you just couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like, what what age was that, Steve Maxwell? When it was like, okay, I think these are nice. Yeah. I was probably around nine or ten. Yeah. And my parents had some records, and um, there was Gene Krupa records. Mm -hmm. So you have to think about my age, you know. So I mean, I was born in '52. So you know, nine nine years old. So you know, it's not not even the '60s yet. And they had these records from the Benny Goodman Orchestra with Gene Krupa, and I remember listening to Krupa and thinking how cool that was. And so what I used to do was I used to try to play. So what I would do is I would take an old uh, Maxwell House coffee tin mm -hmm. with the plastic top, 
and uh, a Quaker oatmeal oatmeal thing with the box and make a bongo out of that. Take a couple of coffee things and screw them together and, you know, make fake drums on them. And that's that's what I started doing. I started playing and stuff like that. And uh, my my, mo- my mother's mom, my grandmother, on my mother's side said to my mother one day, if you don't buy him a drum set, I'm going to buy him one. So I had this, that's, and that was, I think I was like 11. Yeah. I that. Okay. So then you, one year later, you were ripping into the scene. It, it, was, it was, it wasn't, you know, I was playing, I was, uh, I could play, I was a competent player. So I, I got a call one day from somebody who said, Hey, you know, this is, I hadn't played a gig before. He said, this guy wants to <clears throat> hire you. And he, he's with the Continental Orchestra. Oh, sounds great. Sounds yeah, great. Yeah, so I don't know. You know, I had played like in high school, you know, high school stuff and knocking around with the kids. But this is like real, real gigs. So it turns out that it's a in uh, Rhode Island's a very heavy Portuguese population. So these were just the guys who played at por- Portuguese weddings. So it's a Portuguese wedding band. And it turns out to be I laugh about it now because the oldest guy in the band then was probably what my age now. But he was like, I'm looking at this real old guy. There was a guy playing the violin. Yeah. One guy playing the mandolin who was so hard of hearing he had to tip his head down like this every time he played the mandolin. Amazing. A guy playing the guitar who was probably 19 and then me at 12 years old. But but I was like, hey, this is great. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting money. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting, you know, this is this is great. So then that was like the first real gigs. Yeah. But we all start with stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah. you were you were getting paid before most of us have even picked up a drumstick playing. So that's that's good news. <laughs> it, it it was it was funny. It w- was fun. I wouldn't be doing my job if you said Maxwell Maxwell House Coffee a second ago. Is your last name actually Maxwell, or did you just lift the name from the coffee cup that no, you start that, coffee can that you started playing from? That is my actual okay, okay. real name. Okay, yes. okay. And no to- relation to the coffee <laughs> company magnets. Otherwise, I'd have forty drum shops all across sure, the country. Sure. No. Hey, you know, I just. Just asking. Um, so okay, okay. So a minute ago, because uh, you've got a great legacy and and quickly with with all of this stuff. When we walked in, I was blown away by the first Craviato drum set. Oh. <laughs> Incredible! Not only is it yeah. an amazing instrument, but it's it's also I'm a I'm a huge comic book collector myself. Um, so you know the holy grails would be like you know Detective Comics 27, which is the first appearance of Batman, yeah. or 1938 Action Comics number one, the first appearance of Superman, the mm-hmm. modern superhero. Yep. So the fact that number one of the Craviato drum set is sitting over there, yeah, um, kind of resonates on that whole collector thing. Like that's issue number one right there. Yeah. So getting into that, um, you obviously have a, a very special being the owner of Craviato, um, not only that, but then um, your history with Johnny is, is very deep. And I know you guys were friends. Where did you, how did that start? Where did, did you guys just meet at a gig somewhere? Did you just love his drums a whole lot or, or yeah. where did that come from? Man, you know, that's, that's a really great question. I couldn't have staged questions better than this because it's a, it's a great topic. Johnny um, was starting to make the timeless timber snare drums which is the uh, lumber that was taken out of Lake Superior. Yes, and for drum workshop. Well, this, this, or is, this is before. This is actually a little bit before. Okay. He had that, he, he, and he did these. These are 600-year-old bird's eye maple. The right. wood is unbelievable. And then he did start to do the DW, you know, the Craviato DW Timeless Timber. But before that, I saw him. He had been out at a Chicago vintage drum show, Chicago drum show, and he had a 4 by 14 that he had made Craviato uh, Lake Superior, Timeless Timber, 4 by 14 bird's eye that he made as a giveaway item for the show. Wow. And I remember looking at it, and at that time, he was just starting to do the ones for DW. Those were five and a half by 14. And I remember looking at the drum and thinking, oh, man, it's so beautiful. And I love 4 by 14s. I just love them. And I went up and just talked to Johnny, and I just, just to say hi. And he was such a, a gracious guy, and he loved to – he was really interested that I was interested in his drum. And so he was just a really warm and, and, and good guy. And I remembered that. So maybe it's like a month later, I kind of called him up after the show. And I said, you know, Johnny, uh, I know you're doing these with DW, the five and a half by 14s. But would you maybe, if I ordered some four by 14s, would you make them for me? And he said, sure, no problem. So we actually, that was the first thing I did with him. We did a run of four by 14, timeless timber, uh, bird's eye maple, snare drums uh, with the 24 karat gold hardware and the engraved rims by John Aldridge. Uh, and I've got, I've still got three of those four by 14s in my private collection here, but that's how that relationship started. I see. And over the years, uh, I loved what Johnny did with his snare drums and 
one time I was out in California and I said to Johnny, I said, man, wouldn't it be so cool if you could do drum sets? You know, this is way before he had done any sets. And he said, I know, I know. He said, I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. And uh, when he, uh, when he left the relationship that he had with DW, where he was making the shells for the DW. Like late nineties. Yeah. 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 And uh, he then was doing some stuff on his own and he wanted to do more and wanted to do the sets. And that's right around, you know, 2004, where he and then Elizabeth Cabraser, uh, our partner, got, got involved in helping him get established on his own. And then right around 2006 is when the first kits appeared. So mm -hmm. that kit number one yes. is from that time. My personal kit was number two, uh, which is up here as well. There is another kit. Johnny built a kit for himself that was kind of like a midnight uh, blue glass lacquer. So sometimes you see pictures of him with that kit. Yes. But the one I have here is actually the serial number inside is 001. And my personal one up there is 002. So get better than that. I didn't own 001. Actually, another person that uh, uh, that worked with Johnny, really, really nice guy, uh, had bought that kit and owned it since new. And several years ago, he just decided he wanted to move it. And I... He called me and I bought it in two seconds. Sure. And that kid is still sitting there with the hang tags on it. It hasn't ever been played. It's gorgeous. One of these days, I want to take it out and play it, but I just can't bring myself right. to do it yet. You well, know? listen, if I had a copy of Detective Comics number 27, I I'd probably wouldn't read it. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd be very nervous to even open the thing. You yeah. know what I mean? So I, I, yeah. totally, I totally get that. Um, well, you, you know, um, bringing on folks like um, an amazing drum designer who a lot of folks know, uh, Sam Baco, who is now involved with you guys at Craviato. Um, us at Forks Drum Closet have had a, had a, a distinct privilege uh, to sort of see a, a great uh, forward leap this past year with Craviato, uh, not only in terms of, of just the, the production times, um, but also uh, really carrying on uh, the heritage that you're so passionate about in terms of not only um, the brand Craviato, but also like you've described different drum stores that you grew up with and, and things like that. Um, where like it's an amazing drum company it has been since day one with the four by 14s and things now that you have got really some serious strides going right now where where what's the goal where where does craviato go from here because there's no drums like them for sure out there it's that's that's true and i take no credit for any of that because that was all what johnny created yeah and one of the hardest things uh i can answer your question by backing into it a little bit one of the hardest things Please. to do was to figure out what we were going to do when johnny passed because that was, his health had been not so good, but not so bad that we thought there was an issue there. And he didn't really tell us that he had issues. So he passed and it was sudden. And uh, as much as I am passionate about the brand and can help on the business side, and that Elizabeth, our partner, was passionate about it and it could help uh, financially as well, uh, we don't build the drums. We don't build the drums. We don't know. I can't build the drums. And you can't just go find somebody hanging around that can build that. There's, there has to be a deep understanding of what's necessary to make a solid shell drum as opposed to a plywood drum. And not that I, the plywood drums are great, but this is a whole different animal. Very different. It's very different. So you've got to have that understanding of what to do and how to do it and why. And there are very few people that can do that. So for us, it was a very difficult period of time trying to figure out what do we do next. Johnny, thankfully, transferred his skills <clears throat> down to his team so the team could do some of that work. But you also need on site a leader. There has to be a leader on site. And that, that was 2,000 miles away. I'm here in Chicago, and that's 2,000 miles away in California. Yeah. So we were um, fortunate enough to work this out where when we purchased Forks, uh, the purchase of Forks led us to, uh, actually, I knew of Sam's reputation already, but it led us to have conversations with Sam. And it's one of those things, sometimes the stars line up just right, you know. Sam had been doing what he'd been doing for a long time with the, with the orchestra and very successful at it and other things. But he had always kind of wanted to, you know, again, put an imprint on a brand like he, he did when he was doing work for Slingerland, and he did great work with them back in that year. Tremendous. Those are some of the best drums in the world. Bingo. The 90s Slingerland 90s. Studio Kings. Bingo. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was still under Gibson ownership, and then yes. so there's some little things there that make it tricky. But uh, Sam's skill is, and his knowledge, the thing about Sam is he's got knowledge of 
the wood and the properties of wood and what needs to happen, whether it's solid or plywood, and he understands production to the nth degree. Yes. It's like Rain Man. I mean, it's, it's, it's un, he's, he's like, well, this and this and this and this, and I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but go ahead and do it. He understands everything, and he's committed to carrying Johnny's legacy forward. So then for us, Elizabeth and I said, well, this is the person that can run the business, but the business is in California. Mm-hmm. And you know, business in California is a pain to begin with, but it made sense to try to consolidate it. So we were fortunate enough to find space. As you know, the space we found <clears throat> about less than a mile from Forks yeah. that's large enough for us to put the entire Craviato operation in, plus the annex for Forks, with a lot of extra space. And we made that move in July of last year. Right. Uh, so that has been good. And now what we've also done are things that needed to be done in the prior environment but never got finished, especially after Johnny passed. We needed to have certain equipment upgrades. We needed to do many things differently, uh, trying to produce more of our product on our own rather than having to outsource it. So you could cut down production time. Mm. You can cut down delivery times. You can cut down costs. Uh, we can, we're, producing some, uh, we're producing our hardware now. Thanks to Sam, we're making our tube lugs. Sounds like, what's the big deal? It is a big deal. That lug has a specific contour to the foot. Oh, yeah. And it's not just like some take it off the shelf and throw a tube lug on. It's a big deal. These are not drumbuilder.com parts. Nothing wrong with drumbuilder.com. No, no, no. Love those guys. Yeah. But this is another level of complexity. So you've got to find somebody who can do that. And we like to do as much of that domestically as we possibly can. So Sam, I mean, Sam found a way to put the pieces together to get that lug built here. And the most complicated thing of all is once you got the product built, that's great, but you can't get it chrome plated because nobody wants to take small plating jobs. Yep. But we worked, he worked that out too. So Sam has worked through all of those things. He's figured out how to set up the factory, I call it a factory, but the, the shop for greater efficiency. Mm-hmm. He's been great training people. Uh, the existing team has learned from him. He's learned from them as well. And uh, I think we're well poised to move forward. The COVID thing, you know, the COVID thing throws a wrench in everybody's works. The whole okay? world. Uh, but we feel really confident about the path we're on. There are some other projects we're working on within Craviato that I can't really talk about right now, but things that I think will also enable us to uh, expand the reach to a broader customer base. So uh, we're excited about it. People still want the product. They still care about the product. Very much so. And and we're, we're happy that when people have reviewed the product, they've said, well, the question becomes, since Johnny's gone, is it still the same? And the answer is, yeah, it is the same. And and almost don't like to say this, but I think we're getting to the point where it's 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 better because we're doing things that make it easier for us to produce the product. With newer equipment, the tolerances are better, so there's less waste, so your production is smoother, easier, and it allows you more time to experiment and do different things. So I think uh, I think we're on the right path. I, I'm really, really excited about it, and Sam was the guy who we needed to make it happen, absolutely. Well, every you know, you, I can tell you right now from personal experience dealing with a few customers that we've had um, that we're blessed to have at our store um, who are Craviato uh, collectors, players, uh, enthusiasts. I know they're all still just as happy as they ever were with their older Craviato drums as the ones that they've, that they've received now. So, you know, maybe, maybe the way to, to phrase it is something along the lines of you're absolutely maintaining the quality of the product while improving the customer experience possibly in terms of turnarounds, costs, things like that. Yeah, I think that's um, fair. Yeah. Cause I mean, God, you guys made a, 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 so it was like a gunmetal, gunsmoke metal, blue, gray lacquer sparkle kit for a mm. guy, one of our customers last mm. year. And I've, I've never seen a drum set that looked like that before. It was unbelievable. The paint was ridiculous. The shells, of course, are absolutely perfect. Um, so it's plied drums are amazing. Solid shells are another animal. And when you find someone who does it as well as, as Craviato and you guys do, it's a win-win, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a great thing. So we're happy about it. I think, that, you know, I, I feel we all feel good about it and we all feel good about the path we're on. And and we go back and we think, you know, Johnny would really be proud that, of what we've done. We've taken it, we've expanded it, we've gotten the new equipment, things like that to kind of say, you know, we're, we're keeping it going for you, man. We're keeping yeah. it going. That's a beautiful thing. Um, I know everybody's happy to hear that and we can't wait. I know I can't wait to see the new things that are coming from, from Craviato. So that's, Should be fun. That's beautiful. 
left turn here or right turn so everybody in the crowd can see these drums behind us right we're in one of steve's uh, several amazing collection rooms and showrooms here in the maxwell uh, chicago store that they've graciously invited us into to host this podcast today um okay it may not even be in here steve which one is your favorite huh. oh man that's a hard you question. don't have to say it it's okay if you got but which which one is the Creme de la creme for you that you walk in every morning and go, oh, Lord, I'm so glad those are here. Well, you know, there are so many, but I would have to say the one that means the most to me is kit number two that was the Craviato kit that Johnny made for me. Yeah. I mean, kit number one was was not mine. It, it is it. now, but it wasn't. Kit number it. two was made for me. It was you. So, yeah. you know, that kind of, that's a hands-down winner. But that's on new stuff. Yeah. If you look at vintage stuff, then you have to think back to some things. But I've got... Uh, I can give you, I can name a few things to you that, that would be uh, ones that would be hard to part with. And when I think about some of this stuff, I try to tell people, uh, I don't try to hoard stuff. I don't like to be a hoarder. Oh, you can move around in here. You're not a hoarder. Well, what I'd like to tell people is a lot of times I look at it this way. I like to be kind of like the caretaker. So something comes into me, beautiful Radio King came into me today. Beautiful. White Ring Pearl, 13, 16, 22. Gorgeous. I'll have it for a while, and then I, I probably won't sell it right away, but then that needs to go on to find another new home of someone who will appreciate it, kind of curate it, and respect it, and be the next caretaker. You know, you don't, you don't just turn around and sell it to whoever comes in just to make a few bucks. That's not what it's about. I get it. So some of these things that are favorites of mine, I have a soft spot for, um, there's a chrome slingerling kit here with two bass drums and two floor toms and a bunch of stuff, and that is... Um, not the kit that I owned during this part, early part of my life, but the exact replica of what I owned. It's a Slingerland vintage from that same era that I was lucky enough to find. Yeah. And that kit uh, served me on many gigs and during a part of my life that I really enjoyed. The so, one you had or these? The one the one I had. Gotcha. And this reminds me of that. Don't freak out, everybody. Marshall's going to take some fantastic video of a lot of the stuff in the store. So if you can't see what he's talking about behind my big noggin, you will shortly. And there is a uh, behind that. There's a copper, uh, sling, copper overwood slingerling kit from, and that era was around seventy three, seventy four, yeah. and that was always a favorite finish of mine. I had a kit in that finish, and uh, I did sell it. And later on, I've accumulated many, many, many of the drums. But it's just a big favorite of mine. I would never sell that. Is kit. the twelve new? I thought I heard somebody saying it was a new drum. Well, no, no, new well, meaning a new, new to you, new to me. Yeah. yeah, there's a there's a twelve over there, and I was dumb enough. I had a nice twelve, fourteen, twenty. And I sold it to a good friend of mine, but it's one of those where I wish I hadn't sold that because mm-hmm. I didn't have a 14. Again, I found a 14, found a 20, but couldn't find a nice 12. So I found one that's kind of okay. But yesterday, a fellow brought in some really, really nice ones, and I've got a, uh, a nice 12 to match the rest of the kit now. So, wow, that's a, that's a smoke show over there. And, and sure. I'm very particular about that because that finish was copper. So most of the examples you see have black all over them because the copper pits because it's just of course, it what it is. Of course. So I only have clean ones. But right. there's a kit in the uh, museum room. It's a. It doesn't look like much. It's a 12, 14, 18, and it's a gold color wrap, and it's a pearl kit. Oh, that's the one that caught my eye. Well, that's a pearl fiberglass kit. Yes. And the snare drum's a 7 by 14 metal shell drum, and that kit belonged to Art Blakey. And I got to say, that is probably one of the best playing kits I've ever sat behind in my entire life. I I, I mean, it's... I feel I like will, it should- Never sell that. Should it be your house? I mean, it was. Okay, for, okay. For, for, Deb can tell you, it was it was in the living room for years. And then I finally said, you know, I should bring it up and put it on display out here, which I did. So maybe tomorrow it's going back to the living room because I'm seeing a glimmer of excitement in Steve's that, eye. That thing is great. And then that also takes me to my other favorite, which you will see many examples of, including right behind here, mm-hmm. which are uh, Fibes drums. And not a lot of people know much about Fibes, but it was a great design fiberglass shells uh bob grosso and john moraine had developed this in the 60s oh yeah and i did a podcast uh steven steve jr and i did a podcast on this not long ago but these things are remarkable and uh the chrome over fiberglass snare with what they call the sft strainer super fine tuning i think is what it stood for uh that was one of buddy rich's favorite snare drums he played Mm. that with his slingling drums and i was honored to own three of the four uh, five snares that Buddy owned. Wow. And uh, there is a reason he played that drum. They are amazingly good. 
Yeah. What? Did, forgive me. I should know this. It, fives and quarter are those associated? Well, yeah. The, I should know this. Well, no, no, no. It's it's if fives is uh, a more obscure brand. Okay. But fives was owned by the two. You know, started by the two guys. They sold to CF Martin. Okay. And then the company changed hands. Uh, CF Martin, they, they make Martin guitars. What are they in the drum business for? It's like when CBS decided they needed to be in the drum business and bought Rogers and the guitar business and they bought Fender yeah. and they goofed them all up. So CF Martin got rid of it. It moved down. It was Darwin for a while. It was Quarter, which was Quarter. And then it became uh, Fives again what, uh, with Tommy Robertson down in Austin. So Tommy kind of got things from, I think he got everything from Quarter, and then he got the Fives name from whoever still owned the name, and he was producing them down in Austin. At that point, he was doing more of, uh, with uh, Jasper Woodshells than with fiberglass or uh, acrylic. But uh, to me, the, the best Fives stuff is that uh, from the 60s through the, through the middle 70s. Yeah. This behind us is what years would these be? Seventies type is stuff. Nazareth, Pennsylvania, when CF Martin owned them. Okay, yeah. So this is seventies. Yeah, yeah. Do you have the molds that these drums could have been made on? No, no, no. Because the way the fiberglass, <coughs> excuse me, the fiberglass shells are made in uh, a totally different way. Gotcha. And they are very. I, I would love to reproduce these exact shells today, but you'd have to think about. It would be a hard job. The toxic, yeah. toxic fumes. Yeah, right, right, right. You have to think about health issues. We just let them be things of our dreams in, in the yeah. past, and sure. But I have a, a huge collection of these. Amazing. And uh, they, they are they are great. They sound incredible. And you want to, people say, well, why would anybody play that? That's, do, do they sound good? Just go and listen to uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra and watch Billy Cobham play the Clear Fibes kit. Yeah, that he played with Mahavishnu. I think that'll that'll kind of solve it for you right there. That'll well, you know, for our and this kind of ties into our next question. Um, for the younger drummers, um, Fives drums are uh, brand Drailers or Dailers from Mastodon. He he endorses one brand, but he plays Fives many times in the studio. Um, he has an old Fives kit, and that's his favorite kit to record on. So if you yeah, listen great. to those Mastodon records, a lot of times those are going to be old Fives drums. I yeah. um, hope I didn't get Brandon in trouble just now. I'm sure the folks at Tom would know about that. Um, so, <laughs> I know a lot of guys who endorse Brand X and in the studio bring a Gretsch round batch kit. Well, I, I'm sure that the guy who's mad at whatever company Brand X right now has a Gretsch round batch <laughs> at his house, he goes, well, yeah, God, I love my Gretsch too. Um, so we're speaking of the guy from Mastodon. You, Gene Krupa was who set the fire for you. When yeah. you were younger, who do you have any younger drummers that have has jumped off the page w with you recently? You know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, Justin Faulkner, you know, I mean, he's he's a he's a great player, uh, really really fine player, and uh, there there are so many good good just really good players out there these days. Um, and but I like the guys who have a kind of a nod to the past mm -hmm. and, and the history of the what I call the old masters. You know, and, and it, it's really interesting thing, but but uh, there's some really fine players out there. Uh, You'd really dig Miley from uh, Rival Sons. He that dude, he play his feels crazy. His drums sound just like all the old drums, mm -hmm. and that band's a great rock and roll band. So I think you yeah. would dig that guy's sound a whole lot. Yeah, if you hadn't heard that guy yet. No, I haven't, and and that's one of the things I haven't had much of an opportunity to do is to really you know listen to a lot of. Uh, newer guys, but I know they're out there, man. So, as a guy, as a guy, a jazz player, uh, and he's not a well-known name, but he's he's out in New York. He's a Craviato player, Carmen and Tori, and uh, Carmen's great. Man, he plays uh, just it's a killing, killing jazz player, and he's got great technique, great style, <clears throat> great sound. He's just a good guy. There's a lot of really Ulysses Owens. Uh, God, the, the the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Marcus Gilmore. Oh my oh, God! Amazing, oh my God! Amazing, amazing. Well, Brian Brian Blade's not young. Well, but I mean, Brian Brian's. I don't. I don't mean it. That young. I don't mean Brian's not like twenty five. When I say a new drummer, I, I mean somebody who you know isn't one of our heroes. You know, in the normal Louis Belson, Buddy Rich, Gene Krupa. Yeah. Yeah, box. You know what I mean? Because yeah. um, no. you know everybody knows who Neil Peart is or was, and then you know those types of things. So right. maybe names that. But yeah, I mean, guys like all those guys I just mentioned, those guys are incredible. And yeah. even some guys that were uh, lesser known names uh, mm -hmm. from the era that I grew up in were phenomenal players. I mean, yeah, I grew up, Buddy was my hero, Louis Belson, you know, Papa Joe Jones from the Basie Band and on and on. 
But, you know, Harold Jones with the Basie Band was incredible. Yeah. He was with them from 68 to 72, I think it was. Wonderful guy. As a matter of fact, I've got his kit right over there. That little Silver Sparkle oh, Downbeat yeah. kit. Yeah. That kit has history to it. That kit is the kit that he played when he was with the Paul Winter Sextet, and it was the first integrated band that played in the White House in 1963. Amazing. And that's the kit he played. Is that the picture on the floor, Tom? Yep. That's the picture of wow. them. Is, and the drums are in the picture? The drums are in the picture. Well, it doesn't get cooler than that, does it? So that Harold is still alive and playing great. As a matter of fact, uh, before the COVID stuff, he was touring with Tony Bennett, doing three-hour shows with Tony. Wow. And a uh, uh, collector friend of mine bought that kit, and we're going to uh, donate it on Harold's behalf to the American Black History Museum. Wow. That's where it belongs. Yeah. It should be there. How cool. And, the, I mean, God, the fact that you've got the photograph to, to, to go along with it, good Lord, that's about as cool as it gets for sure. That's great history. But, I mean, Harold was a great player. Joe Cusatis, who was one of my teachers in New York at one time, mm-hmm. uh, was a phenomenally good player technique-wise, but also style and taste. Yeah. Uh, he did years and years with Peter Nero. Great guy. Uh Buddy Rich said the greatest big band drummer he ever knew was Don Lamont. Mm. And a lot of people go, it's Don Lamont. They don't know. But that's okay. I mean, this is a long time ago. We're talking in the 50s. Well, what we're doing here is we're getting names recorded on a podcast so folks can go, okay, Don Lamont. Yeah. Okay. Who's going to be? Yeah. I mean, there's there's stuff that people should really, really check it out. Important. You know, it's important. You know, we've got a great younger, well, I say younger. He's probably my age or older. But um, uh, we've got a guy named uh, Daru Jones who's going to be on next week's episode of the podcast. So we're shooting a fantastic human being. He's he's extremely positive, amazing player. And if I'm sure most of of who's going to watch this knows who he is. But if you don't, you should check out Daru. He's a great guy. Um, There's there's. A lot of stuff out there. And the more you think about it, the longer you go. Cindy Blackman. I know Cindy real well. Cindy is amazing. She's channeling Tony. She's channeling Art Blakey. And she's got her own angle going to it. I mean, she's incredible. Phenomenal. Cindy is absolutely in my top five. Oh, yeah. No question. Killing it. Killing it. She is a fire drummer. Um, I've never had the opportunity to meet her. We do have... We've got her Pace It kit at the at the store down in Nashville. We've got yeah. the Gold Glass Glitter uh, yeah. Gretsch kit that she played last year's Pace It. So yeah. any Cindy Blackman fans, you can have her drums. Yes. Um, no, she, and she's she's great. She's a sweetheart, and she just kills it. Kills yeah. it. That's awesome. She's in the Santana band, right? Oh uh, well, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. What, that's what I thought because yeah. I know Dennis did that for a while, and I thought I thought she was in that band. Um, so earlier we we talked a little bit about. Well, we've, we've, there's sort of been an underlying theme this entire conversation about COVID and, and things like that and drum retail. Where does, I hate to put you on the spot, but where does Maxwell Chicago go from here? With, with all You guys are killing it. I mean, the studio in there is unbelievable. I'm sure Stephen does an incredible job in there. And, and we've seen some of the videos that you guys produce here, and they're amazing, and they sound great, and everything in here looks ridiculous. But like for you guys here in Chicago, um, is that the next? Is that the next push? Is just going to be continuing to sort of expand your online business because you guys are open on Saturdays, eleven to five. Five. Um, where does that go from here? Do you guys continue to focus on that? Have you guys had any like brain busters blow up in your head about, ooh, we could maybe, okay, we're going to do online from here to here, and we're going to do be open to public on here, but maybe we do this. Is there a? Is there an exciting new thing? It's okay to say no. Yeah, you know, we're, we're looking at a bunch of things. Like, we, we have a, a drumstick line that uh, we started to produce. Yes, we've heard of that. Yes, and, and, and I was getting ready to do that. And we've got, and they're specifically drumsticks that are designed off of vintage sticks that were available through like the 50s into the 60s. And they're very, very nice, different models that have been, haven't been produced for decades, but they're very cool. We want to go through and, 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 and get that line moving again. Again, you know, COVID slowed everything down, so sure. we'll, we'll ramp it up. But that's one of the things we want to do. We do our vintage reproduction parts. There are some parts of that we do. Yeah. Uh, you know, we do some other things that we just did. A, we just created and just put out a two-way uh, key. It's a hex key and a, t- a drum key. I saw those. Those look very well machined. Yeah, and yeah, they're machined, and they're, and they're made right here in the U.S. Amazing. US. Which so, now Craviato, well, I mean, Craviato was, yeah. was, but you guys are even tightening the USA-made thing, which is awesome with right. that. By making all the hardware here, yeah. too. So those things are important. And here, I think we continue to do more of what uh, we've been doing, and I also want to be doing more uh, content in videos, not necessarily just a, a, a performance video, but just a content video talking about Different things. Uh, for example, I do a column now for Modern Drummer Magazine called From the Past. 
So it's a monthly yes. column, and it's basically talking about I pick a, a, a drummer from the past that the younger players may never even have heard of. And we talk a little bit about that and say, here's who this person was and what they were like, and here's some places you can go to get a sense for what they did and how they played. Yeah. You know? Uh, so we're doing that, and I think I'll do more of that. Uh, I've also gotten some requests to do more, uh, some instructional things, which we'll try to do as well. It's just timing to try to fit it all in is a tricky bit. Of course, um, but man, that's that's so that's so neat and so so cool because I mean, in a, you know, like when we were all growing up, I mean, we had the you know, as simple as the paper catalogs you would get from a drum manufacturer. You would go home and you would eat your breakfast cereal before school, and you would read it and be like, oh, yeah. oh I can't wait to. You'd start writing a list down of what you're going to get, sizes and everything. And I feel like it's it's so crucial and important to have folks. Um, like you and Debbie and Steven and, and, and Chris and everyone around um, to not only continue the legacy of the shops like you've, you've done in terms of the New Yorks and the Chicago's and now the, the Nashville's with us, um, but also to bring, because these drummers that are growing up now and, and getting going aren't going to have maybe the romanticized, oh, I don't even know what the word, a romanticized environment with like getting those paper catalogs yeah. and obsessing over the colors of the drums and things like that. So to, because so many of what, so much of what you guys do here um, is not only very cool and vintage and, 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 and obviously everybody's in the, to sell drums and make money retail. That's how it works. Sure. Um, but you guys are very, very um, in depth all the time. You, you put out videos, like you were saying about drummers that kids may not know about, or you guys are working on sticks that are, are vintage models that no one's ever seen before because they've been out of production for X amount of years. So keeping those legacies going, I don't think there could be anything cooler that you guys are doing. You know, I mean, you guys are really trying to keep and doing a good job with it to keep Craviato, for instance, um, all these drum legacies, trying to not let them go by the wayside, because I think a lot of people maybe in the drum industry, retail industry are so obsessed with the next forward move. They're, they're covering those well, but they're also not respecting the past as much. So yeah. I think it's great that you guys are doing that, and I think you're doing a good job with it. Well, I appreciate that, man. We try. Try every day. It's and awesome. have fun while we're doing it. You have to have fun at the same time. I don't think I've ever seen you not smiling. I mean, I haven't seen you in six months, so maybe you were frowning somewhere in there. Oh, but maybe once or twice. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to get the behind the scenes from Debbie, and we'll see what that was all about. Maybe once or twice, yeah. Well, I, think it's, I think it's great, man. Um, do you want to... If the floor is going to be you, yours as we get out here, um, do you have anything you want to say to our friends, or do you have anything you want to be like, man, you need to check this drum out? Mm -hmm. It's not for sale, but good lord, it's cool. Check the video out. Do you have anything like that you want to dump in here before Marshall does his grand video sweep of the, the whole place? The, the only thing I would say would have nothing to do with with me and us. I would say, people out there who are musicians, uh, you know, take the time and visit the local shop, man. Shop, you know, with the guys who are out there, we are not the only people doing what we're doing. There's a lot of people doing the independent drum model, uh, Jose up at Revival, Stan and Jerry at Pro Drum. I mean, there's guys all over the place that yep. we love and respect that are trying to do this and keep this model going and uh, kind of, you know, fight back against the 800-pound gorillas in, yeah. in the industry. And not, there's nothing wrong with those larger operations, but it's a different animal. You totally. can't this, – this shop and the shops like ours – we, we're there to, to, to sell products, yes, but we're there to provide service, repairs, and the like. And more importantly, this shop is a place for us. It's a sense of a place of community mm -hmm. where you can interact with other performers and players, and that's important. So you, you can't get that online when you dial up and buy something. You don't sure. get that. Sure. And so, you know, those independent shops, they need the support of everybody in those in those neighborhoods. And I would just say, you're going to go buy your drum stuff. If you can, go buy it from the local guy. It doesn't have to be me. Any of the local guys. Wherever you live, find the local shop and help them out. You know, and be their, be their buddies. You know, st I mean, back at our, our store when I was a kid growing up, you know, you would see, you would have the opportunity to meet some of the best mm -hmm. studio drummers in Nashville right at Gary's store for all yep. those years because they were just friends with each other. Yep. And a lot of times they would be there on their lunch break sitting around on the thrones right in the front and they right. were just waiting for the traffic to pass. That's right. And, you know, a, a, like a total nerd kid like me at 13 years old walks in there with my cool bowl cut in 1996 and I, and I see like, oh my gosh, there's Tommy Wells, there's Jerry Croon, you know, there's Ron Ganaway. Like these are all the drummers I read about in the magazine and they're all right here. So yeah. that's an experience I totally agree with you. You can't get at a, at a bigger box, maybe store, because maybe those guys don't have the time to go to one yeah. of those places or something. And there's less and less yeah. real real drum stores around. I mean, I mean for, for me, it was if I was in New York at Ippolito's, I'd go there and I'd have my session with Papa Joe and maybe you'd go downstairs 
and Mel Lewis would be there, yeah. you know, or Elvin would be there. And the same thing came full circle in New York a couple of times, and it made me smile because I was upstairs, and we had we had two floors, and we were up on the second floor. It was a little bit more elaborate, and I was up there, uh, and Vinnie Coliuta and I were up there. We had been sitting around talking and playing Craviato kits back and forth, and uh, and customers came up, and the customers just looked over it, and, and then they did a double take. I said, yeah, that's Vinny sitting right there. Another time it came up, Chris McHugh was there, Ronnie Venucci from The Killers. Uh, you know, another time it came in, uh, Matt Chamberlain's there, Jeff Hamilton's there, and we're just sitting around talking. People are like, this is why I go to the local drum shop. That's, yeah. that's, and that's what it was like when I was a kid. You go in New York, who's going to walk in? You know, Elvin, Mel Lewis, you know, you know any of those guys. You never, Art Blakey. You don't know. It's that, that mystery and that intrigue is sort of the untanned part of the untangible magic of what makes independent drum shops across the country so vital and so cool. Yeah. Um, because it's really like a, it's really almost like winning a scratch off or something like okay. that. You walk in and you see your hero drummers just literally just sitting there drinking a coffee yeah. and w waiting for the traffic to pass sure. so he can get to his next session or just get home, yeah. you know, amazing. And, and so it's very important and it's very cool that you guys are, are, have an amazing shop that continues that legacy that we're also happy to be part of. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Um, uh, I want to say thank you to all you guys for hanging out with us tonight. Of yes. course. Um, thank you, Steve Maxwell for being Great here. Pleasure. Maxwell, thank you guys. Chicago. Uh, thank you, Marshall for handling the video stuff. Yes. You'll see some killer photographs of some of the amazing, and I mean amazing vintage drums and newer drums that are all here um, in Steve and Debbie and uh, Steven's, and Chris's uh, drum store. So thank you guys for so much for having us. Check us out. Be safe out there. Yes. Social distance. You'll see. Steve and I have both been in isolation for six Long months time. from each other. So I think I think we're okay here. We're playing it safe. But you guys stay safe. Check us out at ForceDrumCloset.com again. And uh, have a great weekend, everybody.